That's where we're at. And uh, we're going to go in our Bibles eventually. Um, we'll be in Exodus 32. Uh, we'll be everywhere, but, you know, Kathleen, she'll be working hard back there. But, um, so we, we said on Sunday that uh, this month we're going to be focusing on prayer. And normally, you know, when we teach or preach about prayer, it's a lot of, you know, pray these types of prayers. Um, you know, we need to intercede. We need to repent. But we never really tell you how. I don't know. I noticed that when I was thinking about this. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe how to pray sometimes or effective prayer, the importance of prayer and how we need to pray. And that sort of thing. And, you know, we've done that before and we'll probably do it again. Um, but this time, we're going to focus on different examples of these different types of prayer. Because there are different kinds of prayers. Um, and, uh, and I always go on about <clears throat> praying the Bible if you don't know what to pray and stuff like that. And so we're going to look at some of the instances where somebody prayed. Um, for example, a prayer of repentance like we talked about on Sunday. Or a prayer of intercession or forgiveness or deliverance. Whatever these different types of prayers that people pray. And see, you know, by looking at these prayers and seeing you know, the kind of themes that emerge in them, that maybe we'll be able to use them as examples um, to, to branch out in prayer for ourselves. That's the point. And so um, we're going to look at a prayer from Moses, who's known as the friend of God. And this story is found in Exodus 32. And so in this story, before we get to the prayer, Israel has been delivered from Egypt, and they're now in the wilderness, and Moses, he's up on the mountain with God, and God's kind of giving him all the rules and commandments and all this stuff. He's giving it to Moses so we can give to Israel. And as you know, as we go back, and he gives them the, the tablets of stone, and uh, that sort of thing. And it's this cool, awesome, incredible moment between God and Moses. And, but Moses has been up there for a while. And um, he's on the mountain. And the Israelites decide, because they just saw Moses go up the mountain into the cloud. He's, he's gone. He's not coming back. I'm like, well, Moses not coming back. Let's make our own God. Obviously. That's the way you should do. And so Aaron, who's Moses' brother and right-hand man, he's like, okay, cool. Give me all your earrings. And he melts them and makes a golden calf. And, and, the, people, and the people say, hey, here, here's your gods that delivers you from Egypt. That, that doesn't, make any, doesn't make sense to me. But. And then Aaron's like, yeah, awesome. And he builds an altar for the golden cow that he just made. And, you know, I don't know how you build it. You make a god yourself and then build an altar to it. I don't know. You know it's not real, right? Like, <laughs> you did it. I don't know, but that's what he does. And, and the next morning, the people, they start offering sacrifices. They bring peace offerings to this calf. And they have a big old feast and party for this cow that Aaron just made. Out of their earrings. Just a bunch of lunatics. Right? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so Moses and God are up there and they're having their thing and they're 
And then God, he knows what's going on because he's God. And he gets upset, understandably. And he cuts Moses' meeting with him short. So verse 7 to 10, this is what happens. And the Lord, God, uh, the Lord said to Moses, Go get thee down for thy people. <laughs> These are your people now, Moses. You know when your kids are bad? There was the other ones. <laughs> your kids now. <laughs> These are your people, Moses. Thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves, and they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people, though they're stubborn. Now therefore, let me alone, leave me alone, that my wrath may what my wrath, my wrath, my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I'm gonna kill them all. If you like just leave me alone, says God to Moses, and I will kill them all, and I will make you a great nation. And so God gets so upset with Israel for their absolute foolishness that he tells Moses he's going to wipe them all out and take Moses and start over. Moses, I think, has a couple of kids or something at this point. And he's going to start over. And, and now that, that seems like a pretty good deal. I mean, Moses is, he's had his, his fair share of headaches from these people already. And, um, God's, you know, I'm gonna, if Moses had any sort of ego, he would have been like, okay, do it. Go ahead. Make me a nation. Yeah. Make, you know, he's just part of a country. But God's like, I can make you a country. I mean, that's the Mosesites. Or the Moserines. Or the Mosarians. I don't know what they'd be called. <laughs> the Mosites. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows, but it would be pretty, if you have any ego, it would be pretty cool to have a country named after you. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if God actually planned on doing it. Maybe he would. He, he, he wiped everyone out before and started over with Noah, so there's, you know, it, it has happened. Um, Moses was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so... The promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would still, you know, be fulfilled. Or maybe God was testing Moses' leadership. Uh, we don't really know if God would have done it or not. Uh, because Moses, instead of taking that offer, he intercedes for the people of Israel. And unlike, you know, say, repentance or lament, intercession doesn't necessarily have a step-by-step type of style or way to pray. Because there, there, but there are some points and there are some things that we can bring up while we're interceding. And sometimes, so we're going to talk about intercession. Today. So sometimes um, we preachers usually make intercession out to be some super spiritual thing. Um, Ever heard a preacher say, like, oh, I need all my intercessors to start interceding? And it's like this big, I, I don't know. Um, do you know, does that, is it just with my experience? Does that happen here? <laughs> oh, it seems like even in Bible school and everything, it was kind of like 
you had your regular people that prayed, and then you had your intercessors, and they were they were your warriors, right? And I'm not saying that's not, I don't know, but interceding is, is or intercession is a prayer that we pray on behalf of someone else. And I think we've made it this big spiritual thing, and I mean, it is a spiritual thing, obviously, it's a prayer, but anyone can intercede, okay? And we're going to we're going to kind of talk about the different things that we can pray while we do this and kind of maybe hopefully learn a little bit about how to do it. But Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and 1, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So this is when Paul says to Timothy, you should be doing all these things. Intercessions, one of them. You should be interceding for, for other people. And um, it's not... It's something that we it's something that we should be doing regularly and there does I mean there does however seem to be certain among us who are maybe more gifted in this type of prayer, just like just about anything. You know, there's people that seem to worship more freely than others. There are people you know, people that seem to intercede more easily. That's just the way we're made up. Um, well, some people are more sensitive just because that's how God made us and some of us are clueless. God made us that way. And some, we need both. Because the sensitive people feel everything. The clueless people just keep going. We need to kind of go somewhere in the middle there. So, <laughs> so that's just the way it is, I think. And, um, you know, I don't know where I was. <laughs> there are those of us who can more easily empathize. I write words and I can't say them. With others. And take their needs to God. There's some of us that, you know, someone says, oh, I, need, I have this prayer request. And some, some of us, we just, oh, wow. And we just take that and we feel it. And we have empathy and we, we just pray that way. That's just how some of us are made up. But intercession is something we can all do. And there's some that are, you know, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes we can find ourselves praying um, and interceding in the Spirit. You know, speaking in tongues, um, when we don't even know sometimes who or what it is we're praying for. This type of thing happens. Romans 8 and 26 says, um, For we, likewise, the Spirit also help with our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. So sometimes in prayer, God will move on us and we'll pray in the Holy Ghost, and maybe we don't know. Because um, maybe God doesn't want us to know. Because we don't really need to know everything everyone's going through sometimes. And maybe we don't even know the person, but God uses us to intercede. So there, I think normally when we think about intercession, we think about that. You know, people just wailing in tongues and praying. And, um, but that's, that's not all intercession is. That's not all. Anyway, so in light of that, intercession is it's not necessarily a step-by-step prayer. Sometimes it's literally like that verse, just letting the Holy Ghost work through us and pray through us. And um, and also, what and how you pray will depend on the need you're praying for. Um, you know, healing, salvation, protection. Um, you, you're going to say different things for what you're praying for. And you know, we can also intercede for different people, different families, for lost loved ones or um, brothers and sisters in the church and all that. Um, 
And all that being said, we're going to look at Moses' prayer of intercession. We all clear so far? I didn't get anyone super confused. Um, we're going to look at Moses' prayer or conversation with God about these crazy Israelites. And how they were like, oh, we're going to make a calf and worship the calf. And take some pointers or tips, points from this prayer um, to use as a starting line for intercession when we pray. Um, the main thing is to start. <laughs> if we start somewhere, it's good to start with the Bible. Right? So we take these points and we'll pray. And if the Holy Ghost wants to work on us and pray through us, that's fine. That's good. Um, the Spirit can lead us elsewhere in prayer. But the main thing is to start praying these types of prayers. You can't intercede if you aren't praying. So, so what did Moses say? Israel's hanging in the balance. They're going to be destroyed. Lives are on the line. They backslidden. They were involved in sin again. They turned their backs on God. And, the, and so... The principle that this prayer can teach us how to pray for backslidden people, for example, because that's what Moses is dealing with. It can also teach us how to pray for other things as well, as well if we look closely. So Exodus 32, 11 to 13, after this big, long, rambling introduction, this is Moses' prayer. It's short, and he says, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Remember, they were Moses' people. <laughs> He's like, no, they're not. Your people, which you brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore, should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out, or he just brought them out to play tricks on the word, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. So God, the Egyptians are going to say, God brought them out just to kill them. <laughs> so he says, turn away Thy, turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they will inherit it forever. So Moses, in the short little prayer, he does a few things. He appeals to God based on a few different Facts, And so we're going to look at these points that Moses raises in this prayer and, and see how we can use them to pray as we intercede for backsliders and other needs. And so and we're going to kind of end with why intercession is important. So the first thing that Moses um, brings up, the first thing that Moses appeals to God about is you know, these are God's people. The first reason Moses steps in and starts praying on behalf of the Israelites is because technically he says, they are God's people. He says, Lord, why doth thou, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? He says, why are you so angry with your people? The first thing he does is remind God that these are your people. You've called these Israelites. You've delivered them. You've led them out of Egypt. They are yours. And so something we can pray when we pray for backsliders, um, for example, a backslider is just a church word for someone that used to come to church, used to believe in God, now they don't. They kind of walked away. So that's what that means. So when we pray for someone like that, for example, the first thing we can do is remind God, these are your people. 
The Israelites were currently, as this prayer is going on, they were worshiping another god, right? They were sacrificing. They were bringing burnt offerings. They were bringing peace offerings. They were eating and drinking and having a party for this golden calf that Aaron had made. And these were the things that they were supposed to be giving to God. And instead, they were giving it to someone else, another God. And they said this golden calf was the one who delivered them from Egypt. But that, you know, we know that was God. And they were giving this false God the worship, the sacrifice, and, and the praise that belonged to God and God alone. But yeah, Moses still said, these are your people. God had delivered them. God had called them out. And the New Testament says that the parting of the Red Sea and the Israelites going through it and, and, and the pillar of cloud was like um, a symbolism for water baptism and, and the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4, he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you would be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's spirit and water. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? Did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So this whole nation, they'd gone through this sort of, um, if you will, Old Testament plan of salvation sort of thing, kind of a um, precursor for what was to come. They'd, they'd been delivered from Egypt, which... The Bible symbolizes the world. They've been brought out from this. They've gone through the water. They've been led by the Spirit. The clouds have been there. We talked about clouds a while ago. All this stuff. But now they're worshiping another God. And still Moses refers to them as God's people. They're not the golden calf's people. They're God's people. Why? Because God had made a covenant with Israel. And God doesn't break His covenant. So when we pray for backsliders, as we call them, we can remind God that these people, these souls, they are His. He's already paid a price for them. He's delivered them already. He's already saved them. Even if they're doing everything wrong, even at this moment, they aren't saved. And I'm not saying that, that they are saved. You know, they're in danger of missing heaven. This is true. But we can, I think, sometimes have a tendency that when we pray for people who have walked away, we... We seem to pray from a place of defeat, like, oh, God, you know, it's too late, I don't, you know. Maybe we don't say that, but I think we can come from that place just wailing and so upset and God save them, right? But he's already saved them, and they, they need to be more like the prodigal son where they need to come to themselves as the prodigal son does and make that decision to return. So instead of praying from a place of defeat, which can be the easy thing to do, we can remind God, this is your boy. This is your girl. This is your child. This is your son. This is your daughter. These are your people. And when we pray for others, maybe, you know, not backsliders, maybe missionaries or friends who are saved, we can pray the same sort of thing. When they're going through something, God, these are your children. Remember them. Move on their behalf. So when we start interceding on the behalf of others, we can begin with reminding God, these are your people. And by us reminding, it's not that God's actually forgotten, but we are reminding ourselves by saying it out loud. It's how much more reassuring is it when we pray for a backslidden family member that we remind ourselves they're God's child. 
They're not the golden calf's child. They're God's people. Even though right now, they're doing some pretty foolish things. It's reassuring to us that we're, when we remind ourselves that this, God's in control. Or when someone else in the church has a need, we pray. Remind ourselves they're God's child. That means he's going to take care of it. He talks about, Jesus talked about um, fathers giving good gifts. How much more does your heavenly father give those, right? So we need to remind ourselves who we're praying for. They're God's. He's in control. He will take care of it. We reassure ourselves. I mean, if we're praying for someone that isn't saved, that's different. But generally, um, remind ourselves that God is in control. And these are His. And we reassure ourselves by doing this that He's in control. And we are um, begin by putting our trust in Him. Does that make any sort of sense? And the second thing Moses brings up uh, reminds God of his reputation. He says, Wherefore, should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out and to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? So the second thing that Moses appeals to in this prayer of intercession is the reputation of God. He says, If you destroy these people, the Egyptians are going to talk. They're going to they're gonna mock. Oh, why did he bring them out of Egypt just to kill them. What kind of a God does that? We could have did that. <laughs> they tried to do it. Moses is concerned about the Israelites, but he's also concerned about the reputation or the glory of God, the attention that God gets. When we intercede for someone to be brought back home, we do that because we love them, yes, but also because through it, God is glorified. Right? We intercede for someone to be healed because we love them and we love to see them healed because we care about them, right? But also because we want to see God glorified. We intercede for someone to be protected because we care about them and we love them, but also so that God will be glorified. Our prayers of intercession should be to bring glory to God. If they're for selfish reasons, then that's completely different and God sees through that. When we pray for others, it needs to come from a place of selflessness. This isn't about me. This wasn't about Moses. This was about God, he said, and his reputation. They're going to they're gonna start saying things. God says he's a healer. God says he's a deliverer. God says he's a savior. So how does it look when that doesn't happen? Not that God's concerned about his reputation, but Moses is in this instance. Why? Because Moses is concerned with making God known. When we get to that place, when we pray and we intercede from this place, when our prayers become, God, I want you to be glorified. I want everyone to see who you are. That's when things start happening. When we pray because we want, we want things to happen, it's not the same. Look at Elijah's prayer on the mountain. With all the false prophets of Baal, what did he say? 1 Kings 18, 36-37. It came to pass in the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am your servant, 
I have done all these things according to the word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their back. Again, his prayer was that God would send fire on this sacrifice to show the people that he was God. Also a little bit so they would know that he was God's servant because he felt like he was alone. We know Elijah was a little emotional. But the whole point of that whole show that went on at the top of the mountain, the heart of his prayer, the whole heart of the, the, the whole sacrifice, the water being poured out, the fire you know, coming down, was that the people of Israel would know that God was God. That's what, the, that's what he was trying to accomplish there. So when we intercede, when we pray for others, let's try to play, pray from a place of bringing glory to God instead of just kind of begging him to do it and hoping he will. Um, or just kind of begging him to do something because we'd really like to see a thing happen and we think maybe if I do this, if I ask right, or if I say the right words, maybe it'll happen and it'll unlock the magic. That is the miracle. Not, maybe that's just me. But if we pray from a place that God, I want you to be glorified. This is about you. This is about making you known. Moses said, what will Egypt say? God had said he'd lead them out and deliver them, so why would he destroy them? If it wasn't Moses' reputation on the line, it was God's. He put the onus on God. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, and 18, he said, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing and shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So we can either believe that and pray like we do or not. Because it's God's reputation on the line, not mine. Sometimes when we pray, we can worry about how we are going to look, right? How am I, you know, when we pray for something, what if, what if I, what if I, personally, what if I ask, if you have a need, come to the front. And I pray with them, and nothing happens. Then I've thought this. People come, ask me to pray for them. I'm, I'm just being honest. There have been times that, what if something doesn't happen? What if nothing happens? What if, you know, what if I intercede and, and nothing changes? What if I, what if I step out and, and lay my hands on someone and nothing happens? What if I tell someone they can receive the Holy Ghost and we pray and nothing happens, right? Has anyone else ever thought that? Okay. What if I preach a thing that I, I feel that I need to preach and no one responds? This is something... I'm not saying it happens all the time, but this is a conversation in my head that happens all the time. But that's wrong. That's about my reputation. That's put in the, you know, I'm the one that looks whatever. I'm the one that's going to look silly. I'm worried that I'm going to look foolish if I say this and it doesn't happen. We need to get to the place, myself included, where it's not my reputation that I'm worried about. If God said he'd heal and he'd deliver and he'd protect and he'd save, then that's up to him. It's my job to pray the prayer and God's job to do what he said he would do. It's his reputation, not mine. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
This is what Moses is doing. So us praying like this, it puts the ball in God's court. <laughs> we give him control. We turn it over to him. I pray the prayer. I'll lay the hands. That's what the Bible says. I'll preach what he tells me to preach. I'll do what I'm called to do, but the rest is up to him. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it. We can't worry about whether or not he's going to honor his own word. That's on him. Does that make sense? If there's something, and, and there's something freeing about praying like that. I've heard many old time, you know, people that are used and, and seen all kinds of people filled with the Holy Ghost and healed and all that. These big name guys and all that. And men and women of God who are used in mighty ways and they've all said something similar to that. I just do it and it's up to God if he's going to... I don't worry about it. I just pray and trust God to honor his word. If no one gets the Holy Ghost, I did my job. If no one was healed, I did my job. I did my duty. I did what I was supposed to. I'm not the one healing. I'm not the one saving. And when we get there, when we stop worrying about how we look and how we seem and our reputation, God actually starts working in some pretty incredible ways. And when we intercede, we need to let go of our reputation. He's working through us and instead worry. If you're going to worry, worry about God's reputation. Don't worry. But Moses said, what is, what is Egypt going to say if you do this? Does that make, does that? Okay. Which leads us to the, the third thing. He, he appeals to God because of God's promises. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seeds or your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I will give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. He says, remember your promises. You told Abraham. You told Isaac. You told Jacob or Israel. You, God, you said that they would have this land. You said that there would be so many of them you couldn't count them all. You said it. And so when we pray and intercede for others, one of the most powerful tools that we've said over and over, one of those powerful tools that we have is God's own word. You said you would heal. You said that you would deliver. You said that you would provide. You said that you would protect. And you said that you would be the comforter. You said that whatever we ask in your name, you would do. You said if two or three agree, you're there. You said it. And the best thing we can do when we are interceding or praying on behalf of others is to use the word of God. When you're praying for your backslidden loved ones, pray the parable of the prodigal son. Pray the story of Israel backsliding and being restored over and over. Pray 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. When you're praying for healing, Jeremiah 17 and 14, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. That's the Straightforward stuff. Thou art my praise. James 5 and 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. If he hath committed sins, he, they shall be forgiven him. Jeremiah 30, 17. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Isaiah 53 and 5. For 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. When you need healing, when you're praying for healing, claim these promises. Claim these verses. Pray these verses. When someone needs peace, claim the peace. He's the Prince of Peace. We know these verses. We've heard them preached. We've read them. Pray them. Use God's word when you're interceding for someone else. If you have any needs, Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we don't have, we'll be here all night if we go through every promise. But there are promises in the Bible of peace and protection and provision and healing and deliverance and redemption and restoration and strengthening and empowering and rest and, and needs being met. All just about anything that we can pray for someone else. There's a promise of God saying he will do the thing. So when we intercede, we can claim these promises. God, you said it. And again, this goes back to the other one, God's reputation. We're handing it over to him. God, you said it. You told Abraham, not Moses. Moses didn't promise anything to Abraham. God, you told Jacob. You told, or you told Isaac. You told Jacob, not me. You said you'd heal. You said you'd provide. You said you'd forgive. You said that you would redeem, not me. This isn't me making promises on God's behalf. You said it, God. Claim his promises. Again, this goes back to something we've been harping on for four years. Knowing the word. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible. You can't claim the promises of God over your family, your friends, your world if you don't know the promises of God. You can't pray His Word if you don't know His Word. So get in the Word, grab some of these promises, and pray them. Yeah. In Numbers 14, later on in the story, Israel again is acting stupid <laughs> and turning their backs against God. And once again, Moses finds himself interceding on their behalf. And he adds one and a half more things that kind of go under this third one. Um, under the category, I guess, of claiming the promises of God. Uh, it's a promise we haven't touched yet because we're getting <laughs> He says in Numbers 14, 17 to 19, again, this is him interceding for Israel because they're acting foolish once more. He says, and now I beseech thee let the power of my Lord be great according as I have spoken. See, remember? You said it. <laughs> Saying, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting uh, the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. And he says, pardon, I beseech thee the iniquity of this people according to thy greatness, the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Two times in that little prayer, he mentions the great mercy of God. Why, you know, we intercede, why? Why do we ask God to heal? Why do we ask God to save? Why do we ask God to move and restore and redeem? Other than the fact that we'd like to see it happen. But why do we, why do we do it? Um... Because we know that God is merciful. We're not going to ask for something we don't think that God's going to do. Right? 
We know that he's merciful. He showed mercy. God is merciful. That's why we ask him to heal. Because he's done it. He's plan he, you know, he was planning on wiping out Israel because they're rebellious and foolish, but he's a merciful God. And we pray for backsliders because he's a merciful God, and we know that there's forgiveness. We pray for healing because he's a merciful God. And he will take away pain. We pray for protection because he's a merciful God and he will spare us. We don't deserve it, but he gives it anyway. He answers anyway. He saves anyway. He heals anyway. He forgives anyway. He redeems anyway. Moses, um, he appeals to the mercy of God. When we intercede for others, when we pray on the behalf of others, we can appeal to God because these are his people. We can appeal to him because of his reputation. We want him to have the glory. We can appeal to him because of his promises. He said he would do it, and we can appeal to his mercy. And one more thing he points out here. He says, thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. You've already forgiven these people. <laughs> we just left Egypt, and you've already done it already. So the last thing, kind of falling under the, the promises of God, is because of God's precedent. There's precedent, Moses says, for you to forgive them. You've done it before. Remember Exodus 32? You've done this before, God. You've forgiven before. And we can ask God to intervene and we can intercede because he has done it before. He has saved before. Your backslidden son or daughter isn't the first backslidden son or daughter in the history of the church. And that won't be the last. He's brought many backsliders home. He's done it before. He's saved before. He's redeemed before. He's filled with the Holy Ghost before. He's delivered, restored, healed, touched, strengthened, provided, given peace, and shown mercy before. Anything that you're praying for, God's already done for someone else before. There's a precedent for it. He's done it before. And if he did it before, he can do it again because he doesn't change. We have all kinds of precedent in the Bible for things that God's done and can do. We have personal testimonies. We have books that have been written by people we may have never met. that have written their testimony down. We have access to all kinds of precedents of God doing incredible things. He's done it before and he can do it again. And it's important to note that, I don't know if you noticed as we went through this, we aren't trying to change necessarily the mind of God when we're interceding. Sometimes we, we do. We are praying according to the word of God. We are praying according to his promises. We're praying according to his precedents, his reputation, his people, his mercy. God's laid this all in and we're just praying. Right? All of the focus and attention is put on God. And when we pray this way, we are praying with the will of God. When we only pray to try to get God to do things because we like Him to or we want Him to, it's not going to be as effective. Do you, know what I'm, do you get what I'm saying? When we pray this way, we're, we're literally praying God's Word and God's going to honor His Word. 
We pray according to his word, his promises, his will, his mercy, his reputation, his people, not mine. Not my will, not my promises, not my mercy, not my reputation, not my people. They're yours. His word is his will. My word is not. His promises are his will. Mine are not. So we're not trying to bargain and persuade God or try to trick him. And we are praying in his will when we pray this way. And that's the, the difference. And it may, it may seem like a small difference, but I think it makes a big, a big difference. Amen. When we line ourselves up with him and his word and we pray that, there's power there. When we support our prayers with his word, we are praying his will. So why is intercession important? It's important because God uses it and responds to it, obviously. We... When we do it properly, we align ourselves, like I just said, with the will of God. Did God intend on actually destroying Israel? I don't know. But what I do know, by him saying that to Moses, it brought Moses to a place of prayer where he reminded both himself and God that these were God's people, that God had a reputation, and that he had made some promises. And when Moses came down off the mountain... After coming out of this prayer meeting and saw what the people were doing, he was angry. He smashed the tablets of stone that God had written the law on. And I like to think that he restrained himself from hurting anyone physically because <laughs> at that moment because he'd just been interceding for these people. So he took it out on the stones. These were God's people. He had just said it. They were promised things from God. He just prayed that. Moses, if you read his story, he killed a man for less. I just saw a bug. I mean, it's spring. Anyways. And so, the point is, this type of prayer, this type of intercession is important because, one, God responds to it. Because God responds to his word. He honors his word. But two, it changes us. When we remind ourselves that they're God's people, even if they're acting foolish, maybe we treat them a little better. We don't, I don't know. Maybe we take it out of the stones instead. When we remind ourselves of the reputation of God, we start worrying less about how I look or how people are going to look at me. When we remind ourselves of the promises of God, we start believing a little more. When we remind ourselves of the mercy of God, there's a little more hope. We remind ourselves of the precedents that God has already set. Our faith rises a little bit. And so intercede. Pray for your community. Pray for your province. Pray for your country. Pray for your family, your lost loved ones, the ones that Jesus came to seek and to save. Pray for the backsliders. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for those that are hurting. Pray for... Deliverance, like the early church did for Peter. And then he showed up and they didn't even believe it because they were praying so hard. Pray, 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 intercede, pray all these things, pray in the Spirit, pray the Word. Let God work. So intercession doesn't have to be some super spooky thing. Remind God of, that there is people. Um, remind ourselves about the reputation of God. 
the promises of God, the mercy of God, and the precedence that God's already set. And pray these things. And watch God start responding and honoring those prayers. Does that clear up intercession a little bit? Well, let's all, let's stand. We're going to pray once more before we go. Let's, um, you know, we've got a calendar here of things we can intercede for for the next week and a half, two weeks and a half, two and a half weeks. There we go. So let's, let's try as take some of those things we've heard and learned and try to apply them. That's a big guy. Apply them to, um, to our prayer. Let's, let's pray together and, um, before we go.